from the Bristol Herald Courier. I'm Delina Matthews, and this is On the Record. This week on the record, Laura Spell talks to Rhonda Paulson, the executive director and founder of the Isaiah 117 House, about her nonprofit organization, which provides a safe, temporary place for children in Carter County to go after they're taken from their homes into the Tennessee Department of Children's Services custody until caseworkers can find foster homes for them. Paulson, Melissa Hall, and Lisa Lundberg also talked about expanding the nonprofit into Sullivan and Greene counties by working to open an Isaiah 117 house in each county. In 2014, I knew nothing about foster care. I didn't know where the DCS office was located. I didn't know what it meant when a child was removed. Um, and so in 2014, my husband and I began taking PATH classes to become foster parents. Um, and during those classes, it's an eight-week study, and during those classes, we met in the Department of Children's Services on the week seven. And when we met there, this was my first time in the DCS office, um, and it was just what you would think about an office. It was cold and sterile, and we were in some outdated conference rooms, and the gentleman leading the class said, when a child is removed, they come here. And I'm thinking, he must be confused because why would you ever bring a child here? And so I just, you know, raised my hand and said, sir, I'm sorry, but when you say a child comes here, what do you mean? And he said, a little girl slept in this room last night. And in that moment, I, I just feel like as a mom, you know, my heart just went out to her and broke for her. And, you know, I just kept seeing her, you know, this little girl who had left her only mama she'd ever known. And even though we not, might not approve, she did. And if she was allowed to bring anything, and usually you're not, it was in a black trash bag at her feet. And now she's sleeping in this, you know, outdated conference room awaiting her fate. And I heard God say, these are my children. What are you going to do? And that was 2014, and I had no idea what I was going to do. Um, in 2015, my husband and I received our first foster placement, and his name was Isaiah. And now we're on the other side of it, and so we're seeing it through the eyes of a foster parent. And, you know, when we went to pick him up, he was in an outfit that was just way too small. And they explained that his outfit he had on was just so filthy, they just tried to find something in the office to put on him. And he had one possession, and it was a diaper bag. And I just remember them saying, don't take this in your house for the next 24 hours because you want to let the roaches crawl out. So now as a foster parent, I'm seeing that not only has this child been in this office, but they literally have nothing. And most of them come into custody very dirty. Um, and we took Isaiah home, and... We started reading through the book of Isaiah, and we landed on Isaiah 117, and part of that verse says, defend the cause of the fatherless. And for the next two years, 2015 to 2017, we just kind of started learning what that might mean as we learned more about the system, um, about what these children go through, um, about what they experience as soon as they're removed, um, and also what it looks like to be a foster parent and that transition and bringing a child into your home and not having what you need. And so we just kind of started piecing together, like what would it look like to defend the cause of the fatherless? What would it look like to really love on these children? Um, so in January of 2017, I Googled how to start a nonprofit 
Because I always tell everybody that will listen that if you want God to have the glory, you have to put someone totally ill-equipped in charge. And that's the only reason I can figure they chose me at all. Because <laughs> I'm not equipped for this. Um, and so we got together and we formed a board in February of 2017. And then we just started laying out this dream or this vision of what if there was a home what if instead of going to a DCS office, a cubicle, or a conference room, when a child is going through the most traumatic day of their life, what if they got to go to a really cool house that had lots of fun colors and lots of fun toys and a place set out back and bubbles and sidewalk chalk? You know, and all of these children come into custody traumatized. They come in very dirty. What if we had a fully stocked bathroom? What if we had laundry and we could wash their clothes? They're hungry. What if we had a fully stocked kitchen and snacks? And what if we could get them dinner? And they come into custody with nothing. Okay. And, you know, if they need a backpack, if they need school supplies, if they need, like, whatever we could do to just love on that child in a home, not a cubicle, not a conference room. And so that summer, we set out um, some friends of mine owned this home. Um, and they, they did not have it on the market. Um, and they had said they needed about 135 for it and I said 75,000 is the number in my mind and they prayed about it and came back and said we'll take 75,000 and um, so we started raising money for this home in particular um, and we set out that summer here in Carter <coughs> County to raise 75,000 and most people that live here know anything about Carter County were like well that ain't gonna happen um, but on August 4th we had a kickoff luncheon to raise $75,000 and on August 30th we had it and so we paid cash for this house in September of 17, and Mitch Cox Companies came in. It was not an open concept. Um, they told us if we would demo this house to the studs, that they would rebuild it for free. And so 23 firemen showed up and demoed this entire house to the studs, and Mitch Cox Companies rebuilt it. All new plumbing, all new electric, everything, including those steps that were built by a man named Wesley who took the week off work because he said Jesus told him to build us some steps. I mean, the whole thing was just crazy. Um, so Mitch Cox has done $90,000 worth of work to the home. Keller Williams did 13000 for the backyard, did the play set, the fence, everything that you see back there. Cannon's Fine Home Furnishings downtown Elizabeth, and they came and walked around one day, and they're like, well, you probably need a sectional over there, and you need a table with benches. And well, we'll just bring that back for you. So they bought sixteen thousand dollars worth of furniture, wow. and even that Tennessee sign on the wall—that's beautiful and everybody loves. Um, and so that whole community just kind of lost their minds and said, "We're going to do this for these children." And so January of seventeen is when we started dreaming and planning, and then we opened our doors on in June of eighteen. And when we opened our doors, we had a fully funded first year's budget and the home looking like this. Um, and so we opened on June 19th of 2018, and to date we've helped 85 children in the home, but we've helped over 100 children total because we also help children that maybe never make it to the home. They'll call and say, we need, we helped with a lot of Christmas presents this Christmas, and children that aren't actually in custody but are in pretty pitiful situations, and we just want to make them have a better Christmas. And um, So we've helped over 100 children here in the community, but 85 have, have visited this home, walked through that red door. And um, now that we're seeing the children, and we know their names, and we know their stories, and we see how different that day can be for them, 
when they come here instead of an office space. Now that we've seen the ways we can love on the caseworkers, because we also exist to help them, and now that we've seen how we can ease that transition for future foster parents, so instead of getting a roach-infested diaper bag, we can send formula and a backpack and play and a, a diaper bag and wipes and if you need a fire extinguisher, whatever, we can, so they're not running out to Walmart at midnight. I mean, now that we've seen that not only is this very doable, but it works, like this model works, we just, we can't stop in one county. And so that's why when Lisa came and visited us and um, just really got behind the project and said, we need one in Sullivan County. So we took him home and we just kept thinking, I can't believe his name's Isaiah. But then, you know, Isaiah is a prophet in the Bible. And I promise you, it was like God was in our house. Like, he's always with us. But it was like he was in our house with us. Like, every morning we were learning something new, something different. Something. And so then it became this joke. Oh, my word, we have the prophet Isaiah in our house. And so we'd say, okay, little prophet, what you going to tell us this morning? And, of course, he's like, blah, blah, because he's nine months old. You know, and so, um, and so that is why we started reading through the book of Isaiah again. Um, and, yeah, it's his name. It's supposed to be Isaiah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's how the the name came about for the house. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, for a long time, I actually kind of denied that. It, and not, like, to myself, too, because I would say, no, it's a book in the Bible. It's not just about Isaiah. Now, he led us to the book to read it. But, but you know, when it was all said and done, he was the one that taught me about this system. He's the one that took me there every Friday afternoon. He was the one that I went to court with and experienced that and family visitation and child and family team member meetings. And, you know, like he showed me this whole system mm -hmm. um, and it changed me for sure. Yeah. And if you don't mind me asking, this doesn't have to be published mm -hmm. if you don't want it to be, but, but what happened with him? I adopted him. So yeah. Awesome. Um, and um, so it's Isaiah Paulson. I figured, but you know, you can't assume. Um, he, he came to us November 5th of 2015. And then we got a call March 30th of 2017 that he had a full biological sibling that had been born that was three weeks old and his name was Eli and that he'd come into custody. And so we took him as well and we actually adopted them both on National Adoption Day this past year. So oh, okay. Isaiah and Eli Paulson. And they are okay. four and two now. Did you already have other kids as well? We do. We have a 16-year-old named Sophie and a 12-year-old named Mac. And so Paulson party of six. <laughs> <laughs> Never dreamed ever. <laughs> okay. So what has this journey been like for your family? Um, well, unbelievable. You know, people, a lot of times they'll say, I just don't know if I could do it. What about my biological children? What about my biological children? Now, I've not walked the road. I, I've, I've gone there a little bit in my mind. I can't go there very long. But if Isaiah had ever had to go back, if he had had to leave us, I don't know what that would have been like for my biological children because that was their brother from day one. Like, they felt it, you know, and mm -hmm. it would have been like the death of a sibling. And so I don't know. So we didn't walk that path. The path that I walked, um, Isaiah and, and Sophie, my oldest, embraced <laughs> Isaiah from day one. I mean, she she just loved babies, and we've got a baby, and this is great. Mac was like, mm, he's gross. He's got snot, and <laughs> I'm the only boy, and now there's a boy, and this is gross, <laughs> and he, he spits up and drools. And for about two weeks, he was kind of, and I had those feelings like, what have I done? You know, like. My son is like freaking out in his own home and it was about two weeks in and it was before school and I couldn't find Mac and when I finally found him he was in the crib with Isaiah reading him a book and I thought we're going to be okay. <laughs> yeah. And what I've learned about Mac since that time he doesn't like babies. 
So he was a big fan of Eli when Eli came now, but Eli's two and Eli's great now. He doesn't like babies. They're gross <laughs> and they spit and they have snot. But um, they have both. It was eye-opening, first of all, because they've never, that's not the life they've led. And yeah. so for them to walk that and see that, I think that there's a video that a photographer put together of this whole home being renovated. And I was watching it yesterday at a DCS office with some caseworkers and I thought, didn't realize how many times my son was in here working and you know like he painting these bathrooms and tearing out these walls and you know and so they helped do this house and um my daughter wants to do social work now um my daughter's always like you know we could take in another one mac once again is like we don't need another baby because <laughs> he thinks they're gross but um <laughs> and my husband he never wanted to adopt it was always me you know when we got the call about eli he was like oh, we're taking that baby, you know, and it's definitely changed him. And I mean, overall, it's just been so good for our family. Um, just to step outside ourselves, see the needs of others and try to answer those needs. I mean, that's always a good thing. Um, so what have you, what feedback have you gotten from the kids that have come here, if any, and the caseworkers? Um, you know, kids, that's an interesting one because, um, obviously only the older kids are going to be verbal or vocal at all. Um, and as far as feedback, you know, probably the most telling is a lot of the older kids don't want to go when it's time, you know, they're like, can I just stay here? You know? Yeah. So I know they feel safe here. I know they like it here. I know they feel loved here. Um, lots of the older kids after they've been here for a little bit, just kind of start opening up and telling you their story. And I've been reassured by several caseworkers that that doesn't happen at the DCS office. Number one, they're kind of angry at DCS because DCS is who removed them. And now you're sitting in a cubicle or a conference room and there's all these caseworkers running around and phones ringing and it's a it's an office, you know, it's a workspace. And so they're like, they don't open up to us in the office like that. And so I think that that's telling. Um, there was one little girl um, who's actually, she was actually completely nonverbal when she was here. She was almost four. And... Um, just nonverbal. She just didn't talk. And, um, and so we were trying different things and different tactics and, you know, um, she would sit right there at that table and she would remove all the white crayons and line them up. And then she would like, but she would not engage with any of us or, um, and so finally I was like, Oh, let's grab her up. Let's see if she wants a stuffed animal. And so we found this big pink dog. And as soon as we like put it in front of her, she was like, and she got it, she kissed it, and she hugged it, and she rocked it, and she smiled at us, you know. And so we said, well, let's name it Emily, because that was her caseworker's name, and say, this is your doggy named Emily. And she carried Emily everywhere. Well, then I had no idea. Um, the next day I saw a Facebook post by somebody in my church. That's the foster home she had gone to. And so there was a picture. You're not, you can take a picture of the child as long as you don't show the face. So there's a picture of a little girl laying in the bed holding this big pink dog. And I was like, and so I just messaged, because you know, there's confidentiality. You're not supposed to say much. So all I said was, the dog's name's Emily. And then the woman sent back, we've been calling it Doggy. Thank you. You know, and so that was because, you know, we really couldn't, shouldn't say much. And so then, like three months later, I saw a picture of her. She was like looking up at a wall hold, from the, holding the dog. And so I sent back, she still has Emily. And she sent back, she takes her everywhere she goes. And so to me... That's pretty huge. You know, like in that traumatic moment, she was able to grab onto something and she's still holding on to Emily, you know. So um, that kind of feedback for sure. Um, lots of positive feedback from caseworkers um, saying, I had one caseworker sent me a text and just said, 
if you ever doubt this dream or vision, don't. Because, you know, this is what I've seen so far and just, you know, how the ways you've helped me, the ways you've helped the children. So lots of positive feedback from caseworkers. And then several feedback posts for, on Facebook, just a quick to our page. Thank you, my little one was at the Isaiah 117 house and when they came here, they were happy and clean and they had what they needed, you know, those kind of things. So really good feedback um, on all three things that we strive to do, reduce trauma, help the caseworker and ease that transition for foster parents. So the, the caseworkers, when they tell you that it's, this is beneficial and everything, what specifically helps them out? Um, well, they have to stay with that child the child, is, it's this weird transition time. So they've been removed from their home. They have not found a foster placement. So they are in the custody of that caseworker. So currently that caseworker has to stay in the office with that child at 2 a.m. all night long. Like they have to sit in that. So just being able to come here, get a cup of coffee, take a breath, sit down in this nice home, and then have somebody come alongside and be an extra set of hands and say, you just work on your mountain of paperwork. You work on finding a good foster placement. I'll help the child get a snack. I'll help the child play outside. I'll find the child school supplies for tomorrow. You know, like, so just an extra set of hands to come along and just help them with their job and ease that burden and someone to be able to, right now, the traumatized child is just not being dealt with. It's all about getting the paperwork done and finding placement, which I get, but our number one focus needs to be that traumatized child. And so being able to have someone whose specific goal, our volunteers, the only reason they're here is to love on that child. We don't have another agenda while we're here. We got nothing, other, no paperwork to do. Um, and so, and then we've been able to, to help that they want this for these children. They, they, their favorite room in this house is that bathroom because they have said for years, we need to give these children a bath. You just feel better once you get a bath. You know, like we, they need a bath. And so just that they can bring them here and give them a bath and get them cleaned up. I mean, they want it for these children too. They always have. Okay. Um, so what about funding? Um, currently we are pretty much, I'd say 90% um, individuals and churches. Um, we've received some grants and we're applying for more, but um, it's been pretty unbelievable, the outpouring um, from individuals and in our community and from area churches. How much does it take to operate per year? That's been kind of funny, too, because we set out saying it was going to be about 35000 to run it and 35000 for one paid position. So about 70000 would be our budget for the year. Thirty-five for the employee and then thirty-five to run it. We've spent none of that thirty-five that we set aside to run the house because it just keeps coming in. Like that thirty-five was going to buy pajamas, buy backpacks, buy groceries, buy detergent, buy toilet paper. You know, like it all just keeps coming in. Like, and then when we told the community like we have no more space, a church gave us almost seventy gift cards to Walmart when it was all, like. Well, this when you need to go to Walmart next, you'll have a gift. I mean, like, it's just been crazy. So, <laughs> it's just insane. But yeah. What's the paid position? The director of the home. Okay. So, each home will have one. Each home okay. will have. Their title will be program coordinator. So, the job of that person <coughs> will be coordination of volunteers, um, fundraising for that house, um, making sure the house stays like this, you know, overall, you know, maintenance and care of the home. Um, 
and um, also looking for ways for each home in each community to partner with other nonprofits, uh, maybe unique ways the house can be used um, to benefit children. So. so she brought us here, and again, I knew nothing about it. We came here, we met Rhonda, we got the grand tour. Um, she told us everything, just pretty much what you heard, and we sat down here at the table, and of course the tears were flowing and we all got back in the car and Lisa said Melissa she goes we need an Isaiah 117 house in Sullivan County and I said Lisa we're gonna get a Isaiah 117 house in Sullivan County because I think we should do this and I go we're gonna do it so when was this in the in fall, the fall. Mm -hmm. yeah and uh, That's and what's interesting is um, not long after that, Rhonda called, and as Melissa said, we're in real estate, Rhonda called and said, the craziest thing happened. Um, we need to go look at a lot because someone wants to give us a lot. <laughs> oh, gosh. And, um, <laughs> I mean, what, Rhonda, maybe... Um, Oh, it was, I mean, it was before Christmas, so you yes. came in the fall, and this was before, this was December. So it's a businessman in, um, can you use his name? Yeah. Um, Gene Kessner, who on Sleep Cheap on West State, mm -hmm. um, had a lot that he wanted to donate. He said, it won't work for the house, but I need to donate it to the Isaiah house. But this man wants to purchase it, and he's going to buy it for $30,000. So we started with $30,000 with no efforts of our own other than letting paperwork yeah. flow through. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, so he donated it to her so she closed on it and then she turned around and sold it to the businessman, the, the businessman that was adjacent to it. So that gave us $30,000 toward the beginning of Sullivan County. Can I tell other things? Um, and then John and Lisa Lundberg made a personal donation of 10000 which got us to forty, which was unbelievably generous and kind. Um, so we're at forty. So any progress as far as finding a house yet? Or? Well, <laughs> it's, are, we're looking at lots because of the demolition and the renovation for here. Mitch told Rhonda that it would probably be better to just start from scratch than try to redo right. something. So we've been looking at lots and we've got it narrowed down to two possibilities. Mm -hmm. Yeah, one, a gentleman has said he would donate, which is great. And the other one, um, we're waiting to hear back. Yeah. We've, we're hopefully going to have a meeting with the owner of that at the beginning of April. Can I ask what areas of the county they're in? Well, every time they, um, DCS is asked, it's not like a mandate, mm -hmm. that it be within about a 10 minute drive to the DCS office. So it's about within, it's in the 10 minutes of the Bluntville uh, DCS office. Okay, that makes sense. So can you talk a little bit about the need in in Carter County and then also the other counties that you're looking at. I know you're considering green as mm -hmm. well, correct? Mm -hmm. 
Um, well, you know, God, God just knew what he was doing. Um, when we first met, me and um, a friend of mine who's on our board named Julie Dixon, who's also helping with the Sullivan County expansion, her and I both were kind of batting back and forth. Should it be Carter? Should it be Sullivan? And the only reason we were talking about those counties is because that's where we lived. I lived in Carter and she lived in Sullivan. We were both foster parents who had seen how broken the system was, knew we weren't going to adopt like 47 children, but knew we couldn't walk away, you know, like after what we had seen. And so we both just kind of felt like we need to start in Carter. And I look back and think, yeah, we did because I needed the folks around here that have known me as a school teacher at the high school and known me as a teacher at Milligan and known my husband working. Like they know us. And so we've lived here for 20 years. They trusted us enough to be like, we've got this dream. You know, I don't know that other counties would have because they didn't know me, you know. And so Carter County really rallied and made this happen. So now as we go out to other counties, it's not just this dream. It's we've got one in Carter County. You want one too, you know. And so then you start looking at, well, it would make sense to go neighboring. Okay, well, then you would automatically, in my mind, I think Washington or Sullivan. Um, but if you look at the numbers... It's going to be Sullivan or Green. When we look at the way the current system is set up, the current system is running under an act that was passed or a bill, legislation, I don't know, what's the verbiage, law, I don't know, mandate, <laughs> in 1980. And it's 2019, and we're dealing with a very different um, population. We're dealing with a different family dynamic in 2019 than when we were in 1980. I think we're going to have to look at that um, when we take a look at our system and how we're doing things. Because, you know, you're dealing with parents that are addicted to opioids and meth. It's not an easy fix. And well, you know, our Barry Stavis that you met, mm -hmm. he's part of the DAs that are suing the, mm -hmm. with the opioid crisis. So, I mean, if that tells you. Okay. So in 1980, and it's been amended twice, but it was in the 90s as well. Um, the Family Adoption Act, I think, is one amendment. The but that all is what led to the number one goal for the Department of Children's Services right now is reunification. That that says that the best thing that could happen for this mm -hmm. child is that they be reunited with their biological parents. I'm just feeling like, and from what I'm seeing, we're dealing with a different set of biological parents in 2019 than we did in 1980 or even 1990. So where's the process at with expanding into Greene County? Green County, we've been working down there about, we've been working down there since November. <coughs> so they, um, they've had a lot donated. Um, they've raised 30000 and they are getting ready to have their big kickoff luncheon, and they have 410 people signed up to come to their kickoff luncheon. On the Record was made possible by David McKee, David Krieger, Delina Matthews, and Brian Woodson. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.